0: Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country.
1: You ask what is our aim? I can answer in one word victory.
0: I have a dream that one day this nation
2: will rise up. Sport has the power to change the world, it has the power to inspire.
0: Hello, you're listening to Lead Different by Triangle Media. Today's episode is part two of the discussion on sports culture and what we can learn from its development of leaders as a refresher. Joining Russ today on the episode is Caleb Coleman, a former Division I student-athlete for the Cal Berkeley football team, and Matthew McHugh, a broadcast journalism student and color commentator for Northwestern University's WNUR Sports, the broadcasting home for Northwestern Wildcat Athletics. You can find Lead Different on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe for more content, leave a five-star rating, and review. Now back to the conversation.
2: You know, we were just talking about uh, sports uh, culture and leadership, and this is our second session. We're really going to kind of dive into a little bit more detail, and we're going to do it off of the uh, example of one of the most inspiring examples to me of leadership in sports was when Northwestern football players decided to try to form a union. Um, And Matt's here, and he's going to really kind of take us into it and help us understand why that's relevant, why that's important.
1: Yeah, so this, uh, this story, Russ, started in, I believe it was 2014. It was right before I got to Northwestern. Uh, it was Kane Coulter at the base of it. He was one of the quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. They had a two quarterback system at the time. It was Kane Coulter. And, and the other one was Trevor Simeon, who oh, ended up becoming yeah. an NFL player. Oh, I forgot those guys were there. Super Bowl champion. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, it, it was him at the base of it. And, and essentially, the whole purpose of this was all of the players agreed look, would college athletes deserve to be paid, was kind of the, the basis for that argument. And okay. to do that, a step towards that process. Is let's form a union. We're essentially workers for the, yep. for the school for this program. Yep. We we should form a union. We should demand better better rights for for the work we're putting in and the money we're bringing into this program. Right. Um. Ultimately, not not much came of that. I believe I, I'm not sure what the the legal resolution was there. Um. But it, it was just more about the the that initial act of we're going to form a union, which kind of brought a whole brought this whole argument of paying college players back into the spotlight, and it's still. I believe, very much in the spotlight and very much a hot-button topic in sports media today. And a big reason for that is these Northwestern players, I think about four or five years ago now, uh, deciding to form that union. Um, And Caleb, obviously, you probably have a lot of thoughts on that, too. I'm uh, As 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 someone involved in sports and sports media, I've seen the work these athletes put in and I, as, as someone like me who only takes, I don't know, like I go on a weekend trip with the team or I'll go on a trip <laughs> right, every yeah, month right, or so. Yeah. And I, fall, I start falling behind in classes. Yeah. I see the players working yeah. on the bus, on the flight. Yeah. I'm like, this is absurd what these players go through and how much work they put in. let me ask you about this. Cause, cause,
3: let
2: me ask you about this because I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here. There must be something in the culture at Northwestern because other universities didn't do this. Yeah. And what, what is it about the culture of
1: of the team or the culture of the school? That, that allowed that to even happen. So Northwestern is interesting because it's it's very small relative to other Big Ten schools. It's less than half the size of the next biggest Big Ten school. I didn't know that. It's wow. very, very small. 8,000 undergrad. I think the next smallest is Nebraska with 20,000 undergrad. Wow. Um. So it's, it's much smaller. And as a result, football, all sports just aren't quite as big. It's a lot more of an academic focus. Um, and the student section's never really full for games. People don't get up and excited for game day. A lot of reason for that was because the teams were bad for so long. Mm -hmm. So there hasn't really been that same culture that there is throughout the rest of the Big Ten, and I would say most Power Five programs. So football being kind of the rock, the basis, and there's this huge foundation built there. So I think that that kind of allowed an opportunity for Northwestern to build their own identity and build something different. Um, And I think that might have been part of the inspiration for those players deciding to form the union. Um, and I, I think that it has to be a right culture in place for that yeah. to happen, not just with the, the whole school and organization, but also those players physically so, themselves so too. So we, we you're talking about it,
2: and we're going to get Caleb in on this, but I think this is important because I think when people think about athletes, too many people, when they think about athletes, they think about people who are not, Uh, intellectually rigorous or engaged, right? (laughs) Obviously, Mm -hmm. Northwestern is intellectually rigorous and engaged. I had the opportunity to watch Stanford and their practices, and I'll tell you something. Those are some very intellectually engaged people. We have Cal here, which Caleb can talk about. But I think it's important people understand that that, that there are a lot of athletes who are intellectually, uh, socially, emotionally engaged with life outside of the sport. They care about it. And to me, those guys, the reason I respected it – is I 100% I, – I I paid for meals for guys who were athletes in my school because they, they didn't mm-hmm. have any money. And people think, oh, you got a scholarship. Why aren't you fine? And, uh, it, it, yeah, well, okay, you need money outside of that. Many times they can't work, mm-hmm. and then they're, they're they're working out. But I think that it's important for us to note that sports is part of who a person is, but – What we're seeing with these Northwestern players in this case and in other athletic situations is we're seeing the leaders rise. And you mentioned two pretty prominent names that I remember from the uh, 2014 time of guys who are willing to stand up and be criticized, be uh, categorized in a certain way negatively because they want to do something. And I think that's how change happens, but that's what leadership is. And it circles back to our original conversation. These are guys who, when they were five, when they were seven, when they were 11, they were playing on teams. Mm-hmm. And they're used to sticking together. And I think it's interesting that in a, it, it was in a football team that was able to get itself unified. Yeah. And I, that unity is because... There was some guy probably on the team who was like, I don't know if we need to be getting into this, mm-hmm. that looked at the team and said, hey, if we're going to go, we're going to all go together. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's that's why I think sports offers a different kind of leadership. Mm-hmm. It's a collective leadership. where We're willing to let Trevor Simeon be the front face of, of what we're doing, but we're going to stand 100 percent behind him. And so I think it's a very powerful thing. I love it. But we can talk both about the leadership it took to do that and mm-hmm. what will take even, I think, I think you're going to need more athletes to do that if we're going to see it get better. And when you look at what's happening in sports with the coaches, including our coach at Michigan, making so much money, presidents making so much money, and these kids not – I mean, it's a fraction Mm -hmm. of what they're bringing in at a lot of these universities, not every one of them. uh, There should be something done, but leadership by the athletes is a really relevant part. But I think it's a good – instead of people criticizing athletes for having – Consciences, socially, emotionally, intellectually. I think they should look and go. That's profound that they're doing that.
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that stuck out to me was how they're willing to kind of oppose a system in place. Uh, made me think of. I remember, you know, playing at Texas. I referenced earlier, you know, going up to Washington. Or um, when you're playing in some of these environments, it is very much so us against the world mentality. Right. Um, and I think when you're when you're playing sports growing up. At five, at seven, at, at eleven, you're you're used to and kind of developing that mindset of us against this other team or this other, you know. You go on that away game; it's us against this this city, you know, against this whole group of people. Um, so I would imagine, I mean, going into the Northwestern example, they had developed that that kind of niche or that kind of ability to to kind of go in and say, hey, we're all kind of gonna challenge this system in place being the you know paying the athletes and whatnot um, which, which I think was is what enabled them to to do something like that and c- completely validating the fact that it takes a very unique place to do something like that I look at Northwestern um one of the schools I wanted to go to I was looking at Stanford Cal Northwestern kind of some of my top schools but uh there was something very common in those in those environments interesting yeah and I think there's something very similar and I think it was only going to come out of a Northwestern, a Cal, a Stanford, something where you're much more engaged intellectually in order to challenge. Do you guys think uh, that as we're talking about this, do you
2: think that people, I may be wrong about this, but do you think people misunderstand athletes and athletics because it it, it, it seems like um, people can be pretty judgmental of athletes. At least it
1: feels that way to me. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I've I've noticed that too. I've, I've noticed people with football players in a class. Oh, this is going to be an easy class. Look at all the football players in a class. <laughs> uh, and it's like, oh, well, that is not true. The work the work these guys put in. I, I mean, I I'm willing to say it. some of the, a lot of them study more than I do, which is really impressive given yeah. how much time they devote to their athletics too. But I think it's just the work ethic of these people. I'm sure Caleb can back this up too. Um, at least from what I've noticed in Northwestern. The work ethic these guys have—they operate so differently. They get themselves up at six a.m. Yeah, go weightlift. They spend their whole day working, and it's like they're they're working out, they're yeah. studying, they got tutors. They're, they're they're every step of their day is so scheduled and. And it's like me. I'm gonna wake up at ten and go to class. <laughs> hey, it's I, very was yeah. I was with you. I was with you. It's different. Hey, <laughs> um, you and I. I think, are the I think it's just like, way, the me. way athletes operate, especially if you're gonna be that good, yes. that competitive, at, and at, at a good academic institution. And, and, and I can't you have to operate like
2: that. I can't understand. And you know, I, I, I would not even, you know, I, I, obviously there are athletic programs who, you know, there there are these cases where people just don't do anything. I get that, but I, I think far and away. From what I've seen and the athletes I've known, and I've known more than a few, um, these guys are working hard. And there's all kinds of different levels and types of intelligence. So we can get into education and talk about the fact that, well, what if you have spatial intelligence, but you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're, 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 your cognitive capability to read is not that good? Does that mean that you're useless? And I think part of it is society – it has to to upgrade its understanding of what it's like to be an athlete and how much of their character is built. I want you to explain on that, but mm-hmm. I'm going to tell people a story just for those who are mm-hmm. older that maybe sitting there poo pooing, going, "You give a guy a hundred thousand dollars a year for education, he <laughs> should shut up yep. and just go eat, you know, and be quiet." <laughs> okay, but the, the, Bill Bradley, you guys are maybe too young to know who he is. One of my favorite players growing up, 1970s, New York Knicks, they won the NBA championship. He went to Princeton. He was a leading scorer, I believe. And I didn't go back and look, but I'm pretty much sure uh, I think I'm accurate on this. He was a leading scorer in college basketball. I read a book about Bill Bradley. Someone gave me a leather-bound vintage uh, copy of it about eight years ago, and uh, he, he talked about his life and mm-hmm. what he had done. And what Bill Bradley did on every road trip in the NBA was he took policy books with him everywhere. He ended up being the U.S. senator from New Jersey and ended up running for president. Wow. I know. I, I, so he went to Princeton. Look, I, you if you're an athlete, you can go anywhere and your life's going to be tough academically. Mm-hmm. I don't care where you go. Um, but I think people do underestimate he, he was one of the most collaborative, reasonable, uh, able to be on both sides of the aisles guy that you can go look him up. People can read about him and brilliant, uh, able to work with just about anybody. He had a hard time, I think, campaigning for president because he didn't want to slash and burn people, which is also something. That I think athletes, people talk about how athletes trash talk, but seriously, athletes don't generally get into tearing everybody down. It's just not their deal. And you might, you might crush them athletically, mm-hmm. but you're not trying to crush them right. uh, personally. So I, I feel like we need more, I guess where my position is, we need more athletes in politics, in business, as part of teams to add that sprinkle, that, that fairy dust, if you would, <laughs> of, of I can respect you and compete against you. You know that kind of thing, but
3: yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's inspiring. I, I know about him, uh, but I mean, it would make sense. I mean, I can only speak on my experience, right? But but being at Cal, I mean, just the level of rigor that we've been talking about. I right. mean, seeing that play out firsthand of, you know, you have your six a.m. lift. You know, you you wake up early, you have your lift, um, then you have an eight a.m. class. You know, and then you have a class and leading up to maybe a half hour break before a, a one thirty meetings. Right. And Then you're in meetings from one thirty to three thirty, and then three thirty to six thirty, you're practicing. I'm already tired. Yep. Yeah. And then <laughs> That's if you kind of nuts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then if you if you want, you know, to to really separate yourself and, and really be great at what you're doing, you're going to stay on the field a couple, you know, extra twenty thirty minutes to kind of get extra work with your position coach. Um, and then we have dinner, man, mandatory dinner that you're at. So you're looking at really when you're settled in in a place to really even start your homework. You know seven thirty or eight p m and that's that's the daily schedule, wow, so I think the character that we're kinda of almost forced to to develop and build in order to just stay afloat academically while competing at the level we are against the top athletes in the country, I think it's almost a sink or swim kind of thing, and I think that's why you know red shirting is as prevalent as it is, you know red shirting is f- explain for people yeah, so red shirting is your first year coming. In, as a freshman, you'll pretty much uh, you'll do a redshirt, so you you're not eligible um, to to play, but you you save your year for yeah. you know, so you'll be there for five years. Just get an extra year. Don't play. So you're not in year. the game. There, so it decreases some of the pressure on exactly. You.
1: But you do everything else. You are do everything else. the team, you're in the meetings yep. and everything.
3: Minus minus the travel. Right. Yeah. Minus the travel. So I think that's why redshirting. I'd say about. You look at it, Stanford, yeah. a program who's really solidified their program and the type of culture that they want to develop. I would I would argue about 75 to 80% of their players are going to redshirt when they first enter the program. Their freshman year and I think that speaks to I mean Stanford a program I have a lot of respect for, the type of players that they have on and off the field. I think they're they're really getting their guys in that first year and developing that. Right. All the things we're talking about, they're they're developing that character and that ability to handle the rigors of a the academic institutions, you know, that, that that they're at in addition to the, the rigor of on the field. Right. And, and I don't even think it has to be a Stanford or a Cal as well. I yeah. mean, like you, you were talking about earlier, it's college. Yeah. You know, and, and college is not easy. And when you look at the amount of time the normal oh. student spends studying and then you add in the athletic, you know, components yeah. and expectations, I mean, I think that's why we see the the level of kind of – Character that 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 scene from athletes, especially right. playing at that sure. level.
1: And I think the, the one other thing to mention there is the, you mentioned the travel that you don't travel for redshirt, but guy, I've seen how much that how much of a toll that can take on players, especially the players who are gone for weekends. Like mm-hmm. you're you're missing Thursday, sometimes you miss Thursday, Friday yep. class, and it's yep. like. You're taking tests in in a hotel lobby. Yep. There's a like one of the assistant coaches is proctoring a test yep. for you in a in a hotel lobby in mm. I don't know somewhere random, yep. in right. Austin, <laughs> Texas. You're sitting <laughs> right. there yep. in a hotel lobby and, and yeah. there's five different guys taking. And you have it. a game the
3: next day, the yeah, next morning, <laughs>
1: exactly. And <then> it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's wow. Yeah, the work not, these guys yeah. put in for that is yeah. is very impressive. And
3: I think when you when you really look at it, I mean, college sports, especially a football, it's professional athletics. It's professional sports at that point. And I think that's why the argument is, has gained so much traction. I think people are starting to realize that hey, these guys are going through the exact same thing and bringing in the same amount of revenue, if not more, than what these professional athletes yeah. are doing yeah. that are making millions of dollars in their contracts. Right. I mean, how many so, hours do you think that was uh, per week? I mean, it was much more than a full time job. Yeah. I remember exactly. calculating it out, and, and even too. This is this is a funny story. My my best friend, he played the same position as me, uh, Cameron Walker. We we ended up calculating if you took how much our scholarship was worth, and then how much we'd be paid hourly, we we calculated that out for so for the whole year. Uh, I think we ended up finding it's like sixty-seven cents. Something sixty-seven ridiculous. cents ridiculous. If then you look at wage every hour. in California, it's like eleven dollars. Exactly. I think. You're exactly you get roasted. Yeah, that includes homework though. So we included wow. homework, but wow, yeah, crazy sixty-seven
2: cents. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can't even get a candy bar. Nope. <laughs> even if you go back to when I was in college, you yep. still can't get a candy yep. bar. Um, You were going to say something, Matt?
1: Uh, no, I was just saying that's, that's a great point there, mm-hmm. Caleb, is that you, you, we think about the work these guys do. It really is more than a full-time job yeah. for a lot of these sports. And that, That's not to say this isn't just for football either. We talk about how much money football that's brings right. into the program. Yeah. Athletes at every single sport are putting in so much time. Oh, yeah, these Olympians,
2: the lacrosse yeah. people, mm-hmm. the crew people. That mm-hmm. See, here's the thing. And we're gonna. I'm gonna start to move a little in the definition of. Uh, I just want the the person who's listening to to understand. You know, from my point of view, and I remember being in high school and playing basketball. I played uh, once. Why I quit playing track, running track to focus on basketball, but we would have like two a days, and so I had to be at uh, school at whatever it was six thirty in the morning, then go to or six, and then go to school, go to class, then afterwards you practiced again, and then you get home you know, seven 30 or something like that. And you're so sore and you're so tired. I remember one game and I'm talking about high school. I'm not talking about high school. I remember one game studying for my physics test in the stands during the JV game. Like I'm in the stands. We had an away game mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, by the time I get home, it's going to be 10 o'clock. And so I need to study now while I'm sitting here. And I think people understand that. Why do I think all that's important? When you look at leadership, there's a few things, that, and we're going to just sort of define leadership and kind of go through this, and you guys can add anything you want. When you look at leadership, there's a variety of characteristics that you have to develop. One is the capacity to lose or fail. Hmm. Now, I've done that a lot, both in the uh, um, the startup realm, in the nonprofit realm, and in the spiritual realm. I've done, I failed in all the different realms. Um, and I think sports teaches you how to fail like nothing i've ever seen in my life just it teaches you how to get back up Mm -hmm. get back in there you talk about not winning a game the whole season Mm -hmm. that does something to your mind your Mm -hmm. heart your character Mm -hmm. um i think sports teaches you to lead by example Mm -hmm. because you realize i remember i was you know i had a big mouth at a certain point (laughs) and i knew i had to shut it when i got on a basketball court because didn't matter how much i could talk about uh I think sports teaches you also to not be so consumed with being liked because sometimes you know you go to an away game mm-hmm. and you got people saying things to you that are just seriously yeah. I mean yeah, it's pretty seriously yeah. you know I mean if you want to know America yeah. go to a sporting event and be at in an away game and yep. find out what people are capable especially of
3: especially walk walk by the student section yes <laughs> yeah
2: people people look at what's
3: going on now with
2: politics yeah. hey it's nothing that that's a sporting event that that's like that's like normal um I think the willingness to do your job and not have to get credit or not be the star, um, uh, the, 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 the capacity to learn how to be motivated by something other than yourself. John McCain just died and playing for something bigger yourself. So I think sports teaches all that. And one of the things I think, say Facebook or Google or LinkedIn, they could really be benefited by looking around and saying, how many, how many people have had an, an athletic experience, including band? Because you play in a band when I at least when I was in high school you play in a band you're, you're doing a lot of work. I mean we'd be practicing and they'd be practicing because mm-hmm. you could hear them. Um, and 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 you're talking about all the I'm uh, sure college the sports media people all that they're doing all their stuff so. Part of what I want to encourage out there is people to realize, hey, if I have a kid, I don't have to have them play in sports because they're going to be a star. Have them play in sports for the experience of learning how to work with others, how to lead, how to have compassion and empathy on others and bring people along with you. Uh, One of the first things I want to talk about, I watched, I told you guys this earlier, the Pentagon had uh, about five coaches in uh, to talk about leadership. And so if we didn't have any credibility on sports and leadership before – this should give us tremendous credibility because <laughs> some of the coaches I picked out a few: Jim Beheim, Tom Izzo, Kevin Ollie, who's no longer with Connecticut but won a national championship there. That's one of the mysteries of life that he got fired. Uh, Tubby Smith and Jay Wright, who uh, did Villanova just win it? I forgot who just won it.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, yeah, Villanova just won it. So Jay Wright, Tar Heels, Jay, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay Wright wanted it. the he's a great coach. And these guys I picked out because they talked about leadership in a way that I think we can talk about defining the kind of leader you are. And so the first one I'd probably say is someone who's resilient. And Jim Beheim said this, and I want to get you guys' thoughts on this as far as the kind of character sports builds into you and why that character can be translated to politics, to corporations, to nonprofit or for-profit, et cetera. He said, look, um, leadership, because I don't know, that's a that's a tough subject. But he goes, I'll tell you what, you really you really don't know who's a leader until you start losing. Hmm. And he goes, we lost two games in a row and we were in trouble. And he goes, what really impressed me about my team was that every guy stepped up and that leadership, when you're defeated, is not about one guy. It's about everybody stepping up and doing something. And so one of the things I thought that sports does a great job of teaching you is how to handle failure and not let yourself be defined as a loser, to continue to believe you can win and you can achieve and I was wondering, do you guys agree with that, disagree with that, that one of the main reasons to be involved in sports, as far as learning how to lead, is the ability to handle defeat mm-hmm. and loss and failure?
3: Yeah, I mean, the classic example, right, is baseball. You know, you succeed three out of ten times and you're one of the best players You know, <laughs> yeah. in the league. All, all, fame. all the all right fame. All of fame player right there, you know. So yeah, I, I think the component of, of learning how to fail, learning how to embrace failure, and, and learning to let it compel you, right, instead of uh, you know staying stuck in, in that in that failure kind of like hey what do we need to do different you know every after every game I, I played in college really in high school you know the first meeting team meeting we'll have where we're looking over film is what do we not do right right what do we need to do going forward and I think that brings a certain mindset of it, it's it's a growth mindset you know does that it's, mean it's, the athletes handle criticism
2: maybe better than the average person
3: <laughs> I would say I mean you get I, a lot I, of experience would, with yeah it, we get a lot like of like trust athletes. me I, there was no lack of, of being yelled at Throughout my time playing football, I can guarantee you that. So I I would say for sure. So there's a
2: sense of with an athlete, you're handling failure every practice. Mm -hmm. You're handling failure in the film room. And so if you were to go into the workplace or wherever – and someone was correcting you, it's not going to be as devastating to you as it might be to one of those American Idol people who goes in mm-hmm. American Idol. Yeah. I always love watching them. Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean I can't sing? Devastating. Yeah. <laughs> I've had, I didn't need lessons. I'm a yeah. natural. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know what I mean? little disillusion. And, and I
2: always sit there and I watch those people and I'm like, and, and, and sometimes yeah. I see people get really, you know, there's the big thing about don't be negative, be positive, yeah. which I'm all about being positive. Yeah. But I think sometimes if people had more experience in sports, they because in sports you get told, hey, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Johnny Dawkins was the coach at, um, Stanford, Stanford yeah. for a while. Right. Okay. So he, uh, this, this story fits in with this idea of losing. So I can't remember the details, but this is the story based on a newspaper. Uh, he was playing a high school basketball and I think he had like 28 or 30 on a guy in the first half. Right. And he ended up with like, I think 36 and after the game, and they were crushing the team. And after the game, his dad pulled him aside. So what happened out there? He goes, well, we won. Nothing happened. He goes, no, no, you you, you you only scored six, eight points in the second half. Why didn't you score more? He said, oh, man, I was killing that kid, and I just felt so bad for that kid. He was you know, we were just killing him. He goes, don't you ever do that again. His dad said, don't you ever do that again. You you need to you hit him with everything you've got. You score as many as you can. You've got to have a killer's instinct on this thing and stop being sentimental. And after the game, you walk up to the kid, put your arm around him, say, great game. I would encourage you to choose another sport. <laughs> I read that story, and I went, That's athletics. And people go, oh, that's terrible. But I think what it does is it builds the capacity in you to think well of yourself regardless of criticism, regardless of what someone says. You just have this internal thing you develop.
1: Yeah, I think one of the most important things of any leader – in this context, and I've had, I've been fortunate enough to to get to know Chris Collins, Northwestern basketball coach. Oh. He played under Coach K for a long time. He's a good one. I he like coached him under him too, um, so he's got a great relationship with Coach K. And one of the things we, we, we I asked him last year, well, what, what makes Coach K such a great leader? What makes him the guy who's there, the institution in college basketball? Right. And he said, the thing Coach K does, he makes every single person in the room feel like they're important and they're contributing to what they're doing, from the best player on the team to the water boy to the trainer every single person in the room has a role and he wants them to feel like that role is absolutely critical to the team's success. If the waterboard is not on his game, right. the team will fail. He wants the water boy to feel like that. He wants every single person to feel like their role yeah. is absolutely vital. And, and that's the kind of culture that Duke has built in the last wow. 30, 35 years that he's been there. Um, that, that kind of makes a winning institution. And that's how leaders are born. Chris Collins became a leader because yes. he got the Duke. He learned that from Coach mm. K. Yes, he worked well, his way up. Now he's a leader at a different program. How many different coaches have come out of that program? See, that's it's, what it's, I love about. That's yeah. what I love about sports mm-hmm. because
2: you said the water boy, right? Uh, the water boy can be. I've got a friend, Daryl Howe. He uh, he he was a an actor and a Broadway actor and a television actor in New York. Uh, and uh, he, I, I'm a big Pete Maravich fan. And so I was talking to him one day cuz you know he's done a lot of really cool things in entertainment. And he goes, "Oh, I was water boy for the Appalachian State." <laughs> I go, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, Press Maravich, Pete Marovich's dad was the coach there while I was there, and then Bobby Crimmins was a coach there while I was there, and and I was the water boy." And so, and I was like, "Okay, so here's this guy who's done Broadway stuff that started as a water boy." I think people understand when you learn how to be part of that cohesive mm-hmm. team. It really does something for you. And I know me. I wanted to start all the time. I wanted to be a star and I wasn't. But it taught me that even if I'm not the star, I'm really relevant and important. And so this whole idea of the first element we're talking about is really being resilient. Do you want to add some more on that before we yeah, get Yeah, I, I think Go that's
1: forward. that's absolutely critical too. And I think the point – I forget which one of you made it. Was that sports – that's the kind of mentality you need in, in all works of life is yeah. – is that resilience, and that makes you so much better prepared for things going forward. Um, And everyone fails in sports and in everything else. But especially in sports, those failures get accentuated, I think, a little bit more, Especially if you make a mistake Absolutely. that you feel cost the yeah. team in the game, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you make, the, you make the error that leads to the walk off. You drop the pass in the end zone. Absolutely, I mean, the, then you have that whole feeling of not your whole teammate. You let everybody the down. punter
2: for Michigan against Michigan oh, State my, mm-hmm. when he yeah drops yeah. the ball. I love that kid. I love that kid. I put that kid's picture up on my Facebook. Wow. as my photo hmm. because I was like, I know it. Not that I was ever that good. I know exactly how mm-hmm. you're feeling, and it wouldn't surprise me if that kid turns out as president of the United States or something <laughs> yeah. because it's so phenomenal. So let's move to the second one. So that first one is really to be a leader, you need to be able to be resilient, and nothing teaches it like sports. And for a lot of people out there who have a hard time hearing input, uh, getting getting a job evaluation – I'll tell you what, all that gets easier if you're coming up in high school or middle school and your coach is going, no, that's not how you do it. you got to do it this way. And then you have to run, you know. Okay, I need you to take some laps here and run the until you get straight. Yeah, yeah it's straight <laughs> accountability. Second one is this, and I think this one was really interesting because I, I didn't uh, – Tom Izzo, coach of Michigan State, when they asked him about leadership, he said, look. He goes, I, I, I really don't like when people talk about leading by example. He goes, it drives me crazy. He goes, I want to stick it where the sun doesn't shine. That's what he said <laughs> verbatim. And he said uh, – he goes, it's because I think lead by example is, is a selfish way to go. Now, the context of what I understood he was saying is he was talking to people who go, I'm going to go set an example, but I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to bring anybody else along because he later on went – he goes, I think it really comes down to leadership is more it, – it has become more I than we in this generation. Hmm. And he didn't mean age of people. He meant society today. That leadership is more I than we, which goes down to what we were talking about really early in the first session about people who are very vocal and very loud mm-hmm. in their leadership. And many times it can be about, I want to be seen. I want to be noticed. I want to get credit. He goes, it's really He goes, "It's really about bringing others along. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the elements here is, and I think I call that collaborative. Someone might disagree. But I think I've had to work on that because I grew up in an era where top-down leadership, almost hierarchical leadership, was just what it all was. And one of the things that's helped me a lot as someone who's, you know, a generation beyond you guys is learning the power of bringing other people along. Even like in our podcast today, I was really excited to hear your points of view so I can hear and listen. I almost wish the Senate and Congress and the White House would invite in people that are under 25 and say, tell us what you think about how we do things and how we sound and how we come across. I think they'd be in for a shock. But what do you think about this element of leadership that's more about that we're leading? I'm going to redefine what Izzo said. We're leading by example. Really, the power of that is bringing other people along. What do you think about that in sports?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think when when you look at kind of the most successful, successful players and, and athletes, I think they are you know, bringing their team along, especially when we start defining, I don't know, I know there's the whole, you know, LeBron, you know, MJ argument debate yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, so prevalent. Yeah, easy, um, careful, careful. <laughs> 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 but, uh, you know, I think it goes into our, what, what what type of impact are you making on other people, right? You can be, have the best personal example in the world and be the best player in the world, but if you're not bringing the people along with you, and yeah. at the end of the day it could, like, Look like winning championships right right if you're if you're not bringing people along with you, then what value are you are you really bringing to the table um so yeah I, I definitely have seen that play in in my life with with sports. I mean, even looking back at the example I shared earlier, uh you know, helping those guys that were coming up that were you know gonna be on the varsity football team in the years to come, yes, you know, bringing those guys as as they started to almost following that example that i was I was starting to. Um, to kind of practice out and, and, and live out for myself. Um, that's where the real value comes, right? When it's, it becomes bigger than you, and I'm leading by example, but it's bigger than just me, and, and I'm going to bring other people along with me.
1: It's about the leader's role, I think, as a teacher is the most important Ooh, thing. Ooh, nice. You know? it's the, the leader has to be able to teach the, the younger players. Yeah. Or, and maybe it could be the similar age, but the more experienced guy Helping out the less experienced people, I think that's the most important thing. Right? Maybe not the one of the most important things. Close of right. being a leader, yeah, because um, that's kind of setting the stage for the future. Yeah, right. Is these are the guys who are, are going to be the next leaders. You yeah. want to make sure that's how you build a program that's good for 30, 35 years in any sport. Is you have a culture where that's what the the, the senior leaders are doing. Is they're teaching the younger players yeah. how to be not just a good player but a good teammate. And eventually a good future leader for, for other younger players. And right. that's kind of how you build that cycle. And then you can you can have sustained success for decades and decades. John Wooden,
2: winning his coach in all time in uh, college basketball history, would often say, I'm not a coach, I'm a teacher. Hmm. And I think his mentality was I'm a teacher. That's what I am. And I think the best leaders – really do at some point, I know I've come to this, where you sort of, you get older, you stop wanting everybody to look at you or give you credit, and you start realizing, no, it's empowering other people that makes you really successful. And again, I think that's one of the challenges for leaders uh, today. So the Izzo one is good. Now, Kevin Ollie said something very interesting, and it took me a while to understand him, so I'm not even going to tell you what I think about it. I'm going to okay. just put it out there. Yeah. He said, to me, leadership is a question of am I liked or am I respected? How does that land with you guys? Am I liked or am I
1: respected? And he said, yeah. I want to be respected. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, sometimes you probably notice that too. Some coaches rub players the wrong way. That happens a lot. Um, and that doesn't necessarily make him a bad coach. If the players are like, this guy's on my back again. I have to, to work extra hard. I can't believe he's making me come in for extra workouts or he's right. pushing me extra hard. I mean, some for some players, that works. I think it's about knowing your team, though. And that's the most important thing. Wow, Players are coach. Different teams, different systems, different players are all coached differently. I think the best coaches, the best leaders are ones who can kind of figure out what works best for those players and mm-hmm. then adapt. You don't have – if you have one policy or one system yeah. and you set that out for every single person who walks in that door, yeah. you're going to send some people away. Right. And you might rub some people the wrong way and you may end up with a little bit of a – Some discord. Yeah. Some friction. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I, I think great leaders, they, they have expectations. So having expectations is, is bigger than, than being liked. You can be the, the most liked, uh, player, coach, whatever you may be in the world. But if you don't have expectations, right, what are you really contributing to the team? Um, I, I look at that as kind of, you know, being willing to get out of your comfort zone, right? The growth, the real growth is going to be made out of your comfort zone. If that expectation is out of that comfort zone, you're not going to like it a lot of times, you know, a lot of the times. And, and I think if you're, you're willing to, to dumb down your your expectations to be liked yeah at that point you know you're you're um, you're lowering down your expectations which at the end of the day is not helping anybody if your goal you have a specific goal for the team and you know that expectation is is what's going to get that goal mm-hmm. at that point you're you're not doing the whole team justice well you guys are drawing me into something that is interesting you're making me think that a great
2: coach then is if I combine what both of you are saying a great coach better be an effective recruiter so you better know what kind of what what kind of program do I have, and what kind of kid do I need? Because if you have to pound that kid, mm-hmm. then you probably are recruiting the wrong kid. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got to always be on his case, meaning there should be the capable one. I think in football, this position coaches are probably closer to people than the head coach, anyway, right? But basketball, basketball is a little different. Although it's getting them a little bit more, I think, offensive, defensive coordinator ish in basketball. Kinda... Yeah, but um. I, I it's funny because when I grew up um you there was much more respect for leadership in general like the coach was like it and we we there like today I see you know AAU basketball like I go what is that I don't even recognize that cuz when I grew up it was like okay here's your system and you fit into this system and if you don't fit on into the system you're going to fit on the bench or fit fit in the stands somewhere else. And I think that that's changed a lot where even with Coach K, who used to be under Bobby Knight, I think he's gone with the one-and-dones more. Mm -hmm. To me, he's changed his system a little bit, which goes to your point, Matt, about recognizing not only the players but the times you live in and being able to say, yeah, I want to teach these guys, but what do I need to do to be able to facilitate them learning better? Uh, so that sounds like one here's mm-hmm. Tubby Smith said, look, I grew up on a farm and basically my dad told me it all comes down to doing your job. That's it. That's what he, 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 he I couldn't, I couldn't completely understand what he was talking about, but he said to me, <laughs> yeah.
3: leadership is to do your job. What do you guys think about that one? I mean, it's embracing your role. I mean, you look at it, uh, you look at a team. I mean, there's no same role on a team. You look at a basketball team, there's five distinctive roles. You know, if let's say you have Stephen Curry starting to be play Draymond's role, you know, and, and starting to get uh, get in the key and start rebounding. Right. I mean, what are you doing, man? Like we all we all know. We all know. I mean, that's You're not part what he of the does. Team. Yeah, get to the three point line. <laughs> exactly. You know, get get far beyond that line and do your thing. So, uh, I mean, I, I think effective teams and effective leaders recognize that. You know, they recognize that the best way I can contribute to a team yeah. is honing my craft, which is my civic role.
1: Ah. Yeah. You're taking that example. Think about a guy like Andre Iguodala, right? Yeah. He's an oh. all-star. He averaged 20 points a game with Philadelphia like five, six years ago. And now he's coming off the bench. He's d- a defensive specialist. He's kind of a ball distributor. Like... You have to adjust your role to the team. He knows his role now, and that's what made him such a key component of those championship teams is he knows I'm not going to go out there and try to score 20 points a game and put up all-star numbers. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to fit into my role on this team. I'm going to help this team win. That's cool because he – Talk about them winning their first championship, right? He won finals
0: MVP because he like defended LeBron, right? And for a stint, everyone who got finals MVP was the person who defended LeBron. (laughs) (laughs) But like he, I remember reading an article about he was the player's coach. Like he was Steve Kerr's extension to the team because he embraced, yeah, on the court. He embraced that role of leadership as kind of submitting himself to like to his defined role to help everybody succeed and he was rewarded for that which is really cool
3: and i think that echoes too because i think there's a sense of humility that comes along with that to to embrace a role that you normally wouldn't have taken in the years past wow in order to uh you know inspire the fact that i'm I'm willing to take this role even though it may not be what i want may not be what i've done in the past
2: All right, I'm going to hit you guys with a – we're going to close out. I'm going to hit you guys with some questions. I want you to prepare yourself emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. (laughs) Let's do it. uh, Transcend transcend the moment. Okay, so we've talked all about sports and leadership, and I'm going to give you a couple. Maybe I'll go for more, but I'm going to give you a couple of situations and say, knowing what you guys know about athletes in college, knowing what you know about sports and how it provides leadership, tell me right now what are the football players in Maryland doing? to handle all they're going through. good question. Good question. I told you.
3: <laughs> good question. I mean, I think there's when you have off the field stuff, I think that, that that's gonna, you know, have a large effect on the program. You know, no matter who you are within the program. Right. Um, you know, in terms of I know that there's a certain sense of kind of isolating Right, yeah. on the field stuff with, with off the field stuff. And, and I wouldn't even say personal lives. I mean, I think when you're How a coach. How difficult is it for an 18, 19,
2: 20-year-old yeah. to be watching? Well, I don't know that they're watching. Yeah. But to know you're on the news, mm-hmm. know there's investigations going on. Yeah. But then you go out there to play football. I watched yeah. a ESPN highlight of them mm-hmm. interviewing the coach right after, the the, the, the interim coach. And I, was wa- I, I didn't even pay attention to the coach. I was watching all those players play, and I'm going, these guys are 17, 18, yep. 19, 20 – they had nothing to do with anything. They just saw one of their teammates die. And I'm not into accusing anybody of anything or making a judgment. I'm just saying they just watched their teammate die. And now they're
3: back out here playing football. Yeah. What in the world does it take Yeah. to manage all that? Yeah, I mean, I can even speak to that. One of my teammates, you know, if you're from the area, uh, Ted Agu passed away in 2014. Um, that was oh. the first year of the coaching staff that, that I had for the whole time, my, my tenure, Cal. But – uh I can say, I mean, that, I mean, it echoes throughout, like I said, the, the whole program to have, I mean, it start going to questions of, you know, what, to what extent is it worth it, you know, winning on the field? Um, I know for me, Ted was actually in my, so we split the whole team up into seven or eight teams, uh, summer competition for our off-season program. Yeah. And Ted was in my group. So we had an off-season uh, conditioning workout and to... Have been right next to him, seeing oh, yeah. you know one of your good friends, uh, you know, pass out and and you know ultimately what what happened. I mean, seeing him pass away on the spot in front of you, it I think it rocks everything. You know, what is what is it really worth and what's what's our goal here? You know, what's our goal in in terms of how far are we willing to go to push ourselves to to win games? And I think that goes to a whole other conversation of the amount of pressure that's on these coaches yeah. for administration, um, you know, being these revenue generators for the universities. Right. I mean, the pressure comes all the way down, you know, from administration to coaches to the players. And it can be tough. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard. It's sad, the loss of life. Yeah. And it's it's also – it just shows you these
2: kids that are playing sports are doing a whole lot more than mm-hmm. than other people. Mm-hmm. Matt, what are you thinking about this? I mean,
1: so I, I coming at this from the media perspective, What whenever – the players in Maryland are asked about this now. Now, I haven't watched the latest press conference, but I'm pretty sure the, the way these normally go is they say we're really sorry, we, we uh, like we, we sympathies go out to the family, right. um, but now it's back to business here. We're trying just to focus on our game. But I mean, just as a human watching that, you, you kind of know there's that's not true. That's still weighing on these players. Right. It has to be, right? Um, like you were saying, yeah. the, the emotional impact of that goes well beyond football, and yeah. I think. It's about recognizing that, yeah, they're going to make a statement that says, yes, we're just going to try to get back to football, you know, right. try to get back to our back to work here. um But, you know, you know that that emotional impact is still there and it, it might be there for a long time, it might be there for life for some of these players. Who yeah. It's in a similar situation like we mentioned.
3: Yeah. And I know it, it, it's, it's easy to often blame the coaches, but I think to the point I was making earlier, I mean, there's so much pressure in these programs, you know, to to do well and to succeed. I think it's. It's really a more systematic issue of what we're seeing with college sports and how much pressure is put on the entire program.
2: Well, I think about that, you know, when I was young, uh, you know, we had different things happen to kids in school. Um, There's a there's a leadership, I think, on these teams. There's seniors oftentimes that step in and help other kids manage it. I think, again, in a sense, what I'm saying is sports is a microcosm of life. Mm -hmm. And these kids that play sports get a dose of life, I think, at least in college, greater than the average student does. I'm not saying other students aren't going off and inventing Google and all that and facing their own stress. But there's this ecosystem of the pressure from the top, the experience of parents, having a girlfriend. Sometimes when teams play badly, (laughs) I often go, I want – and they got you know this receiver – Getting half the yard as he got, I go. I wonder if his girlfriend broke up with him last night. <laughs> you know, like I remember, I just go. These are kids, you know, yeah. and they're shouldering so much weight. But I have so much compassion on them and the kids at Ohio State because a lot of them are involved in stuff that is big, big time stuff. But they maybe had nothing to do with or weren't involved in it at all. um uh, Two more things. I'll go for two more. Uh, um, so when when it comes down to players being paid. Do you guys think players should be paid or do you think they should not be paid their scholarship is enough?
1: Oh absolutely I'm, I'm of opinion I mentioned this earlier that they should get something now it's a little it's a little more complicated than just saying write the checks right now there's a there's a question of how does this work right like and that, there's a lot of questions to be answered there. I don't have all the answers right um, but I think the answer to is this is this too complicated how does this work? I don't know. Let's give up. Let's not pay them anything. Is not right. the right answer. To yeah, 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 yeah. I think the right answer is trying to work out something. It's a little complicated. It's it's actually very complicated. Right. Do you pay every player the same? Do you play every player at every sport the same? Right. Do you play? Do you pay how much do you pay per year? You pay freshmen differently than sophomores. You play the starters more than the backups. I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. You're just saying, look, this is a
2: multi-billion-dollar yeah. industry. People. Something's got to happen, yeah here. people, come on, yeah <laughs> so, something
1: has to happen and, here and
2: and, 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 and the answer think, is not zero, and I think they've got to look at it as an investment in leadership i I think our country needs leadership, I think mm-hmm. we need leadership on all levels, neighborhoods uh, community centers, uh, schools, I mean, teachers, I would love to see there be in all colleges that have, you know, division one athletics, a, a, like a sports major, a program mm-hmm. you enter into if you don't want to do one of the others. And you just learn when you come out, I can either be a coach, a teacher, a, a sports agent or whatever. And you just channeled right into that. It may not be as complicated as the NBA program, yeah. but it's something mm-hmm. where they can go. I, I actually am using
3: my experience to get me a job. Uh, what were you thinking about being paid? Uh, yes. I think it's a definite yes. I mean, it gets very muddy, though. You know, when you have diff- you have walk-ons, you know, then do you pay the walk-ons as well? Then you have your starting quarterbacks. And then what about the guy who comes in, you know, and, and is playing gravity-wise just as important, but it's not the quarterback. You know? Right. You know, and you look at how the NFL pays players. Obviously, the quarterbacks are paid the most. So I think it's a it's a very, very muddy situation when it comes down to how you do it. Don't you think but, this is I mean, funny? I yes. think this
2: is funny. And I love Google. It's one of my favorite companies. Right. But those guys were uh, graduate students. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were able to start a company and they were able to negotiate their own deals mm-hmm. and their own venture. Like, I think it's funny that they can do that. And I understand players. There's a ton mm-hmm. of them, but they can do that. And that, uh, let's say the quarterback at Michigan, you know, Shay Patterson, he, his number two is going to be big. I can tell you that right now. And if he plays well tomorrow, I, it's going to be flying off the shelves. <laughs> yep. Why can't he go out and negotiate and say, "Hey, I'm flat out got my number being used, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm going to get this money for this." And I understand that's the complexity you're talking about. Then it gets crazy and all that. But I just think it's a funny thing that a tennis player, uh, a, a person with a startup, can do so many things that a football or basketball player can't do. I just think
1: weird. And, and honestly, I think that's the next step paying players, I think that's going to be the next thing we see: is players getting some kind of royalties, some kind of some kind of percentage of the profits of the the jerseys sold with their number. Or right, sell, or they're selling their name on a T-shirt or something. Yeah. I think that's going to be the next step when you see the star players start to see some of that money come in. And then maybe after that the floodgates open and then right. we see the left tackle get the pay he deserves and we right. see the defensive back on the soccer team get the pay. And, and you can't stop deserve, me you know?
2: from doing my YouTube channel like an athlete a while yeah. back. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, like you're sla- shutting down his YouTube channel. I'm like, or oh. Or a
1: guy sells his jersey to a fan and then you
3: get suspended for four I mean, years. That's the whole Ohio State back in the day.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the whole tattoo thing and, yeah. and there are people going crazy because they got five game suspensions yeah. for, for selling for a selling. Reminder, yeah. It's three. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah. some rough. T- it's, mm-hmm. all, it's all really rough. T- yeah,
0: I totally agree with you guys because like i was in the kinesiology building and like i would we have i would have the same classes as a lot of the athletes and so i would leave and go to the parking lot to go get my car and go drive off to work and they're going down to the field i'm like and i remember thinking this on my way to my car i was like why don't they? i'm going to get paid for working on something like why don't they they're just go. they're taking a right down to the field i'm taking a left to the parking garage like they have to get paid something you know and again it is a complicated issue but you you have to start somewhere because these guys are you kinda of, Caleb, you kinda of mapped out an athlete's day. Like yeah. it starts at six. It doesn't end till like eight. You know, that's an insane amount of hours. And again,
2: yeah. there will be people who will say, but they're getting a hundred thousand dollars or sixty thousand dollars a year for an education mm-hmm. and the other people are not getting that, so they're getting yeah. paid. And I don't want I mean, I, I, I don't agree with that yeah. perspective. But I think there's there's an argument to be made yeah. which is why Matt keeps saying it's complicated. Well yeah, if you even so, look at
3: it too, I mean, a lot of these guys that have these scholarships, not like that equates to graduation. I think that's a key distinction as well. You know, I've, I have plenty of friends who haven't graduated, you know, right. with a full mm-hmm. scholarship. And I think that's another component of whether it be saying, hey, you, you have a certain time frame to finish your degree. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you look at trying to, especially at a place like a Berkeley or Stanford Northwestern, yeah. the amount of rigor academically while playing football, I think yeah. for some people, I, it. In their circumstances, to well, me I mean, that's very that difficult. That should be guaranteed or like yeah. 10 years. Yeah, but uh, commonly I've seen people not graduating and then well, – because part you know, of it – part not. of what I think
2: is is that schools are making more money than just football. And right. I understand yeah. that the Cows and the Northwesterns and the Stanfords are not making the kind of money mm-hmm. that the Alabamas yeah. <clears> and I, I get all that. But um, part of it is, too, people turn on television and they watch you in a, a bowl game mm-hmm. and all of a sudden – a hundred thousand kids apply to your school.
3: Yeah. So, yeah.
2: I mean, there's a whole lot more going yeah. on
0: here and then alumni get involved. It was a uncalculable, like
3: yeah.
2: me
0: as a regular <laughs> student, I don't bring that much value to that school versus right. the athlete like that. They bring an immeasurable amount of value to the campus, to the school. To well, they open university. it
2: up. They, in other words, you see, I went to a lead eight game once in Memphis was playing. I just happened to, I wasn't there to watch Memphis particularly, but at Memphis to me, didn't seem like a big deal school. Right. To me personally. And I looked down there, and and all these fans, people that look like they were in their eighties, seventies, fit grandchildren, children, and I went. What happens is when you see a school play, you see their community, mm-hmm. you see Evanston, you see Berkeley, you see Ann Arbor, you know, you see the city of Boston, and it <laughs> makes you for the first time go, oh, I'm a, go there. Like I guarantee you, Stanford's applications increased by a lot when they started appearing uh, on, in bowl games and winning bowl games. I'll guarantee you when Pat Fitzgerald got there in Northwestern, really started cranking up and the basketball team looks better, that suddenly there are kids who are like, hey, maybe I want to go to Northwestern. I didn't know what it was. Um, so today we've gone through a lot on leadership, a lot on sports, and we're going to kind of close it down and just kind of – I'm going to let these – get. I, one, I want to thank uh, David for connecting us with Matt. And, uh, boy, Matt, it's a, it's been fun to, it's been great. It's been fun to talk with you. you. I could, I could talk with you for about six more hours (laughs) because I got, I got, I, I I would love to hear more stories about McDonald's and, and sneaking in there. Uh, and Caleb, even though I've known you, I haven't known that much about you. So it's, it's exciting. I hope we can get both you guys on again. And everybody out there, the reason we wanted to talk about sports culture and leadership is, or I, I think I drove this is that. I just think a lot of people have stereotypes about athletes and stereotypes about sports that aren't really accurate. And as I alluded to Mm -hmm. in the talk, go up, go look up um, Senator Bradley. And he's just one example of, I think, hundreds, if not thousands of people who played sports and through the experience of sports became really great contributors to leadership in our country. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Lead Different.